Hi, welcome to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Well, we're back in 22, wishing you all the best for a happy new year. I think it'll be a tough year, but I think if you're prepared, as we always are in supply chains, then we'll get some successes. What'll you do in 22? What are the skills to see you through? People on tech in the main, adding value to your supply chain. Okay, so I have some questions for you. Now, what do you think are going to be the big events in 2022 when it comes to your supply chain? Obviously, one of the best things you could be thinking about is digital transformation, getting the best technology in place for tracking and visibility. Because when disruption happens, that's what you're going to need. Tracking and visibility. Now, many of you will already have systems in place that do that. But there are great systems out there where you can hook up to other organizations. I mean, I made a purchase with one company just before the holiday time this year, and they were able to give me updates by the minute. And they had a hookup with Amazon, and I was able to purchase the goods directly using that system. So that was great. And the goods arrived on time, complete, fully paid. So everybody was happy. It was win-win. So, I ask the question again, what will you do in 22 that will make things better for you? There you go, I'm a poet, but I didn't know it. Back in May, May the 12th, I think it was, I did a full episode on digital transformation and the blockchain. And you might want to go back and take a listen to that because there's probably some relevant conversation about how you can transform your organization to become digital in the new year if you haven't already set a path in that direction. Well, here we are. Looking forward to 22. Wish you all a happy and prosperous new year. Now, have you ever wondered what happens to all those goods that you just buy on spec and then you decide, hmm, well, I'm not sure I really like that, and you decide to send them back? Well, returns are the big problem for retailers online and in store, but online in particular. Over Christmas, of course, we decide to buy all sorts of things. And we might buy gifts for people. And sometimes, I know friends of mine, they put receipts in the presents so that people can return them if they want to when it comes down to shopping. And the returns process is a painless, transparent process where goods go back. But for retailers, it can be a real problem. It can be a real issue because they have the cost of dealing with returns. During 2020, the growth in e-commerce was about 44%, and it represented about 21.3% of total retail sales, compared to only 16% in 2019. And the volumes, obviously, will be here to stay. We'll get the figures very shortly for 2021. But I'm guessing it's probably about the same level, if not more. And retailers estimate that online orders are returned somewhere between 25 and as high as 40% of products go back. Now, that's a loss, isn't it? 
guessing an average figure is around about somewhere between 30 and 35 percent. But I have heard higher figures mentioned. Now, for the shopper, when they purchase, obviously, they want to know that they are going to be able to return goods if they're not suitable for what they want. But then in some lines, of course, like fashion, clothing, people basically buy goods and they use living rooms at home as the changing room. So they might get five or six different items that they only really want one and the other five go back. So how can you reduce returns or the impact of returns effectively in retail? Well, that's a question we're going to tackle right now. And we're going to look at some of the evidence from this year's Christmas period. So stay tuned. Returns are often what we call reverse logistics. We have goods coming back in rather than going out. And it's difficult to preserve margins and optimize costs if you get a lot of returns. Retailers use different solutions to lower that cost and to create faster returns. Because the sooner you can get it back, the sooner you can push it back out again as a product for sale. So sometimes people will have return kiosks, make it fast, or there'll be drop-off points for returns to be made easily. Or you might have to rely on a carrier. And often if you do online returns, those labels are already in the package when it's delivered to you. So they're half expecting some of those goods back. So they put the process in place and they put the labels in the delivery pack. About 90% of consumers prefer to make a return to a store, when about 50% will return online. Reconditioning or refurbishing a product is what many retailers do. You'll sometimes see advertised products saying be stock or refurbishment, and they're usually return products. They've had those products back, somebody's inspected them, looked at them, sees what needs doing to turn the product round and get it back on the shelf for sale or back in the store for sale. And that's a very important part of handling returns. And many retailers make a strength out of returns because apparently about 70% or thereabouts of people who return goods to a store make a fresh purchase. So it's important to see it as an opportunity and think of ways how you can encourage a repurchase. Obviously, they will lose money on stock that gets damaged in the process of returns or requires a lot of further work to make it work as normal. And that is a downside of returns. So in an ideal world, nobody wants returns. You want goods that fly out the door or fly off the shelves, reach the customer or consumer. And that's the last you see of them until they come back and buy something else from you. Now, of course, last year we had all the problems with Brexit in the UK as the UK left the European Union officially on the 31st of January. And lots of the border controls were delayed. But hey, 2022, it's Brexit again. More bad news. Post-Brexit controls from the EU come into force and smaller firms are probably going to get caught more than the big firms who've probably been able to prepare better. But checks on EU imports were repeatedly delayed during 2021, pushed back, pushed back. And that softened the blow in many cases, although it was still bureaucratic and people still complained and there were still delays and the food 
and Drink Federation complained, and the Haulier Association complained, and the Fishing Federation complained, and so did many retailers with things just not getting sorted out really. But uh, new rules come in from the 1st of January because we've ended the transition period. And so there's more customs declarations, more bureaucracy, layers of rules and rules of origin, which will come in during 2022. And it's likely to cause serious disruption and problems. So if we thought there was disruption last year and that was going to be the end of it, well, it was only the start. So we can look forward to some more problems ahead. I don't remember it saying on the vote forms for leaving the European Union, if you want a lot of friction, vote for Brexit, but that's what we've got. If you want higher import duties and costs, vote for Brexit. Another thing I saw in the news in the past week or so, which will come in in 2022, is that the EU has tied up a a zero-tariff deal with the United States to move steel from the EU into the United States. And guess what the UK has? Well, more expensive steel, about 25% more due to the tariff. And they haven't been able to negotiate a deal yet with the United States, although we hope they do in the first quarter. Otherwise, the steel industry will be seriously disadvantaged. The UK sells quite a lot of steel, to the United States, high-quality steel, but now it will be higher-priced steel as well. Now, one of the things that's been happening, not just in the UK, but in the US and other countries that came along to the COP26 conference in Glasgow, all committed to zero emissions of CO2 by 2050. All new road vehicles in the UK are set to be zero emission within the next two decades according to the government website. It comes as electric vehicle charge points are unveiled, but that is a problem because at the moment there just aren't enough of them. But new research has shown that there's a huge growth in the zero emission vehicles since the start of COP26. Now how much of that is propaganda speak and how much of it is fact remains to be seen. According to the government website in the UK, it will become the first country in the world to commit to phasing out new non-zero emission heavy goods vehicles weighing 26 tonnes and under by 2035. And all new HGVs sold in the UK have to be zero emission by 2040. Some new research by Bloomberg New Energy Finance commissioned by the UK COP presidency showed that 31% of the global passenger vehicle market is now covered by vehicle manufacturer commitments to end sales of fossil fuels powered by vehicles up from a near zero share of the market at the start of 2021. Global sales of zero emission vehicles have grown dramatically since 2019 from 2.1 million to 5.3 million. And these ZEVs, zero emission vehicles, are forecast to be 70% of all new car sales in 2040. 19% of 2020 passenger vehicle sales were in countries that now have internal combustion engine phase-out date up from 5% in 2019. But certainly, it's a good way to go. We do want zero emission vehicles if we can have them, and it's not too expensive. And I came across Something this week that said Tesco, which is one of the UK's largest supermarkets with food and household goods, said that they're introducing electric HGVs from the start of 2022. So that is a good move. 
and Tesco are to be congratulated on that introduction. So we'll have to see how that trial or that development goes. I hope it goes well. Now, we mentioned in the review of 2021 all the shortages that we had in terms of labor shortages in the food production sector, HGV drivers, in agriculture, in hospitality, in construction, in health services, and in care. And those shortages are going to prevail through 2022 because the conditions are the same, effectively, if we look at what's happening. We've got Omicron, another variant of COVID, and we've still got Delta around as well. But we've got COVID as a major problem until we can get everybody vaccinated and we can protect people against the virus. Until then, everything's at risk. So vaccination is a key part of the strategy to solving the problem. And if we look at the situation with shipping, again, those sailors sailing the ships around the globe with the container boxes on board, facing those hazardous conditions at sea, that's problematic as well and will be an added problem with COVID. I mean, if crews go down, we've already seen it on ships, we've seen it in airlines, we've seen it in hospitals, we've seen it in production hubs, we've seen it everywhere, that once there are labour shortages due to COVID, that creates its own disruption. Now, there's not just that disruption in 22, but there might be other disruptions that happen along the normal kinds of disruption that we get for what happens in the supply chains every day. We've got the we've got the situation of uh, geopolitics with the United States and Russia having talks about problems in Ukraine. We've got situations in the South China Sea with uh, China and surrounding countries who are making power claims. And then we've got climate conditions and climate problems with temperatures over 40 degrees, wildfires, floods. It causes extremes in the weather conditions we experience, which are outside of the normal distribution of weather patterns in the past 100 years. So we need those CO2 emissions down too. And everybody should be working hard in 22 to ensure that that happens. We've got the shortages of container boxes. We've got the shortages in transport availability, partly due to labour. And we've also got rising costs. Energy costs going up, inflation going up, factory gate prices going up. And of course, taxes will have to go up to pay for the pandemic and for the disruptions. So lots of uncertainty in 22, I think. But hopefully, by the end of 22, I'm pretty hopeful that we're going to be turning a corner. And at that point, I think it will be better for everybody. We can have more cooperation. I think cooperation is the way to go. I think cooperative policies are important. And I think it's essential that people work together. So I hope in 22 that the world comes together with one aim, get rid of COVID and the policies that governments implement are focused on COVID and on protection of people. And when I say get rid of COVID, obviously it's not going to go away, but we can mitigate the risk by having fully vaccinated people so that it's not so damaging in its effects. One of the things that's quite interesting when you think about supply chains is that there is, in fact, a chain reaction. And the chain reaction comes from the demand signal at the start of a process and then to all the parties that are involved in that process to get those goods to the customer throughout the whole chain. 
it rolls to the first supplier, the second supplier, the third supplier, and all the people in the network, the transport, distribution, logistics, the shippers, the freight carriers, the truckers, the railways, air freight, whatever it is, they're all involved in a chain reaction. And so it is with this in mind that you should listen to the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage. Fifteen years ago, Amazon Prime was introduced, and it was a game changer. It promised the customer delivery overnight. I can remember in some industries back in the 1990s and 1980s, and they were absolutely delighted if they could deliver goods within three to five days. That was the fastest window in which they could do so. And that all changed when Amazon Prime was introduced with overnight delivery. Everything working like clockwork to get the customer the goods next day. Now I experienced such a delivery, not from Amazon, but from another company. I ordered it around 7pm and the goods were delivered to me at 11am the following day. So it's lifted everybody's standards in supply chain delivery processes. And of course, the digital age has helped to do that more effectively. So long may innovations in supply chains continue. Now, before I leave you, I have supply chain thought for today. A critical factor to build successful supply chain relationships is trust. Trust linked with consistency, reliability, responsibility and accountability. Trust invokes respect. It confers value through professional attitudes towards each other. And those we trust provide consistent service through which their reputation is built. Trusted partners are reliable partners. They display responsibility in all dealings. In such relationships, parties are accountable to each other. Ethical practices and behaviours are at the centre of what they do. Diversity, inclusion and fairness is expected. When we build relationships with partners we trust, we are co-creating supply chains where we can concentrate efforts on service and service delivery systems. Service to each other and service exchange becomes central. In such supply chain relationships, we work towards a common purpose, which is to put the customer at the centre of everything we do. Getting this right ensures we exist into the future by adding value in the present. At the start of the episode, I asked you what you would do in 22. What events you thought would really impact your supply chain? Well, we've come full circle. And I'm going to give you three things that will create advantage for your organization in 2022. Managing volatility, creating visibility in the supply chain, and virtuality. So those are three V's three of my seven V's, which I think are prominent in 2022. Volatility is about managing risk. What can you do to manage risk? We know that supply chains are going to be volatile because we still have all the conditions that made supply chains volatile in 2021. COVID's still with us. We've got Brexit in the United Kingdom. And those are natural 
disruptors. Those are going to disrupt supply chains. So you need to plan to mitigate all the risk in your own supply chain that might be impacted by those events and of course other events which perhaps arise during the year. Things that are unpredictable. Let's take a brief look at volatility. What it is and what it means. Well, I expect by now you'll know what volatility is. It's an unplanned variation that happens in the supply chain that disrupts the flow and supply and demand become out of balance. And so when your supply chain is impacted by volatility, it creates risk. There's an element of risk. And so you need strategies that will help you manage the risk from volatility. So the normal sort of things that organizations do, they talk about creating resilient supply chains in the face of volatility. And that means holding more inventory as a buffer. It means looking at cycle times and trying to reduce the impact of cycle times so that you manage those cycle times effectively. And of course, building partnerships and collaborations that are going to withstand any test of volatility. So those are are three important things. And the other thing that people do in the face of volatility is they invest in digital systems. But I'll come to that in a second or two when I talk about visibility. Because to manage volatility, visibility becomes even more important. It's about being able to know where everything is in the supply chain at any point in time. So visibility is the next thing which you need to focus upon. And we talked about that earlier in the episode when we talked about digital transformation and how that will enable visibility across the supply chain. And that's going to be critical in 22 to ensure that your supply chain is visible. You don't want anything lurking there. You don't want anything hiding that creates volatility or that creates risk. Anything you can't see could be a danger. So visibility is important. And the only way to create visibility is to ensure that everybody in the supply chains that you manage has access to data. And access to data in the modern age means having digital systems that give you the access to that data. So that's employing cloud technologies, blockchain technologies, all the infrastructure that you can pull in to manage your supply chain using cloud systems and employing and leveraging systems that other people have created doesn't mean necessarily investing from scratch, but there are plenty of providers out there who are able to support digital systems that will give visibility and at a reasonable investment. And the final thing for 22 is virtuality. But I've probably said quite a bit about virtuality in the other two Vs, looking at volatility and looking at visibility. Virtuality simply means having those systems which are digital to provide the infrastructure to manage the volatility and the risk from volatility and visibility. So there we are, three things to focus on in 22. If you're looking for a supply chain resolution for the new year, then that's it. Those three Vs are probably going to be the most important for you to focus upon in 2022. Well, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Chain Reaction Podcast. And if you have, tell your colleagues and tell your friends about the Chain Reaction Podcast and let them hear it too. Don't keep this secret to yourself. Bye for now. I'll see you in the next episode. 
I'm Tony Hines. I'm signing off. I'll see you next time. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast, written, presented, and produced by Tony Hines.